Uncorked. It's been a hot minute, hot summer, lots has happened in the world. I'm Steph, back on the mic with Uncorked and a very special guest today. Suzanne Conrad has been, oh gosh, I don't even know how you properly introduce a woman like Suzanne. Some might call them their guru, their teacher. She is a medicine woman of sorts. She is a spiritual soldier. She is so much more than a leadership development consultant, yet many organizations, I can only imagine, hire her to come in and help humans get the very best out of their time here on earth, usually within the context of an organization. Today is a special day because we are celebrating Sue's first book. Get There Now is a book that took two and a half years to write. I'm sure it's taken a lifetime to gather the experience and the stories. It's heartfelt. She shares some insights and intel that we've never heard before. And it takes a lot of courage to put those words on paper. So I wanted everyone to know about this book launch. I wanted everyone to know the story behind the author, because don't we always want to know what it takes to get the book on the shelf? I wanted you to know where you can find the book and find Sue's, and those are in the show notes below. And I hope you enjoy a conversation from a true spiritual guru that we know and love, Suzanne Conrad. Suzanne Conrad, what a gift to be able to riff with you today to reconnect the power of the gram informed me that today your book, your first book is launched live. Yeah. 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 It's such a big deal. It's like having a baby, but different and harder and longer. (laughs) Well, and for anyone who knows you, they know that that is a very big deal to hear that from you. And if you don't know Suze, you can appreciate that it is such a big effort to bring a book to life. And it feels like among many things, the ultimate test of taking feedback. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, the, the big feedback I got for a long time is things like, well, somebody like you should have a book. And I was like, well, okay, there's another should, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really like the first most natural self-expression because I'd say similar to you, I, I'd rather chat, you know, I'd rather talk. I feel more of a verbal processor mm-hmm. and yet sitting down to write, it's exactly like all those awesome writers say, they say that the book visits with you and begins to tell its story. And that's real. So, well, I promised you only one thing that we would go in many different directions and we will talk about the book yet. You've just caught me because, you know, I love your relationship with words and I want to know your relationship with should and where else that comes up in your life. Okay. Well, my relationship with should now is that when I say it either inside my own head or out loud, it's a reminder that I've just created something that isn't really a hundred percent from what we'll call there. Uh, So as, (laughs) as you'll see, when you read the book, the whole thing about get there now, there is this place within us that has this 
certainty and this clarity and this peace. So I know that when I say should, like I should write a book or somebody tells me what I should do, I need to stop and reflect because it might really be from someone else's view and not what's the very best thing for me. And as a young person, I didn't know that. So I lived a pretty big, long should life. I knew I would just be fluttering listening to you. I mean, you went there and you shared the title of your book is Get There Now. And can you share with us where that came from? The title that is, and then we'll dive into what happens when you open the cover. Mm. Well, it's a concept that I created in part of the light your body of work that we call global perspective and possibilities. So it's its own process and podcast. And I did this, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago stuff. So it's been with me, this idea of get there now, which is how to create a future and then work backwards from that future. Mm. And the working title for the book though, for the two and a half years that I was writing it was actually when a million things go right. And that working title was given to me by my sister-in-law, Summer Wilson, because I asked her, you know, what did it feel like to you when everything started to click in those early, early years of Lululemon? And she just said, Suzanne, it was like a million things going right. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, as a new author, I feel like the working title does the work of helping you write. And then when you get towards completion, the completion shows you what the actual title would be. So I thought I would share that both of them have relevance and meaning to me. Oh, that's so special. I mean, you have always been the visionary. You have always been the woman of today that holds the space for us to see a future that might not yet exist or a future that we might not yet have lived and to be able to live into that it feels only appropriate that I ask, was there any part of your vision that involved you becoming an author? (laughs) Okay, I could find it somewhere here in my office. But basically, I remember being at a leadership conference for Lululemon in 2010. And the cameraman who actually lives in Squamish, his name is Julian, came up to me and said, you need to write a book. He didn't say you should. He said, you need to write a book. You really helped me figure things out with my dad. And I was like, okay, Julian, I'll move up my goal. I'll get it written by 2011. And so I had this goal of writing a book. And I don't know what happens to you, Steph, but I'd shove it forward a year. And then I'd dabble in something and I'd shove it forward a year. It's 2013, 2014. I did interview a bunch of folks and began a book in 2016. And I realized it was other people's stories. And I had no business telling their story because I didn't have the voice to know their story. So I set that whole project down and get there now really got written when I saw that I needed to turn my own life inside out and that would allow the goal to happen. So that's, (laughs) that was the vision. (laughs) Maybe that's why I started by saying it was kind of hard. No, I don't even like to say hard, but it would be dishonest to say it wasn't. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, we began with your relationship with should and how powerful for someone to not project yet, perhaps reflect the power of a goal that they see for you. 
And I think often, you know, we can declare a goal and it then happens so much faster and it's easy. And if it's easy, it's the way. And I just want to acknowledge that this was a decade in the making, the by when date of 2011. And here we are in 2021 celebrating the launch and perhaps the last 10 years, I mean, the book couldn't have been written any other way. You needed one more million things to go right to have this book come to life in this way. And that feels so special. And I want you to know that one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is to share stories of remarkable people on the journey of life. And often we find inspiration when the person achieves the goal faster, et cetera. And often we gain so much more inspiration from learning about the goal that didn't happen overnight. And when we see a book on the shelf, we never know the story that it took to bring that book to life. And that's what I really wanted to be able to riff with you on Suze is because this book didn't come to life overnight. This book came to life with chapters and chapters and many, many humans interacting with you in this lifetime. And so if I can ask, can we dive into the book now? Is that yeah, totally let's okay. dive. We're going to dive in. We're going to make sure in the show notes, there's places of how people of course can find you can find light can find the book. And I want to know when I open the book, what is your hope for me as a reader? Mm. My hope for you as a reader is that you'll have the experience of almost like sitting beside me as I move through parts of my life. And it will give you a way to reflect on those parts of your life for yourself with new tools and a new lens. So at a minimum, I think you'll have compassion for me, (laughs) but at at a maximum, at a maximum, I want to deliver the promise to the reader of being able to have a new relationship with an abundance of choice in their life Mm. and particularly a new relationship with their body and their emotions and their future and how all those things work together. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) You said choice. What does it mean to be in choice for you? Well, earlier in my life, I probably had the same definition many other people do, which is, you know, you have a choice between a pen or a pencil, you know, you have a choice between this dress or that dress. And I think that's how choice works on one level. But you'll see in the book, I introduce my own teacher, Dorothy Wood Espio, and she's really the person that taught me about choice and about de-stressing my body from all the micro traumas of where I have glitched and my body holds those memories and those records. So what Dorothy used to tell us is the story of the 64 pack of Crayola crayons that were really born with all those hues and all those colors and all those possibilities. We are that unwritten possibility of genius and beauty. And that as we go through life, sometimes as little children, often in school, you know, the fuchsia crayon gets broken and the forest green and the neon pink and it narrows us down to maybe two or three or four crayons. We don't have all the colors. So to me, being in choice is the work that each human has the privilege to do to regain those capacities Mm -hmm. and not be defined by who they've become, 
from the challenges that they face. Mm. Yeah. I just pause and think, right. Like there's a moment in time where all the fuchsia that is broken. And there's a point in time where we're all the forest green that gets left behind at the coloring book table. And there's a moment in time where we feel like we're 64 crayons. And there's moments where you feel like you're just that dull red one. And yet here we are, and we're still here. You know, we've made it past every challenge so far. And one thing I love so much about your work is you remind us that, you know, we've made it here and we have such an opportunity to be a contribution going forward, not to sit and consume, not to sit back. You know, whenever I think of you, I think that I'm on the field or you're, you're just Mm. up for Sue's and that always feels so special to me to know that about you. I want you to know that. Oh, I need thank to, you. of course, I need to go back to this crayon thing though, because okay. I, I just have to ask, you know, in a sea of 64 crayons, what crayon do you relate to Suze? Like, do you feel <laughs> like a spectrum? Does it ever feel like one? And of course this is, you know, a, a figurative question. It's just, well, now that I'm 61, I probably feel like I've got 61 crayons back. I don't know. Yeah. I do most of the time now, honestly, Steph, I feel like most anything that I face, I am able to stay what I call in choice and, mm-hmm. and to be able to see and to be able to use all my multicolored abilities. To give the listeners an example, though, that's really practical and, and they'll see this evolution in the book. You know, I meet my first husband when I'm 19. It takes me all the way to my early 30s to finally get out of the game of that relationship and how sticky it was. And so as I'm exiting that relationship, I delete the choice of remarrying or being in relationship because it's like just too painful. I'm just so thrilled to finally be single I don't even want to think about it. And that's a really good example that I see now of people like when they've been through something, I know what I did is I just cut it off. Mm. So I needed to have a growth and a healing process to be able to even have the picture, Mm. Mary Brett, you know, which is why I'm now Conrad before that I was Suzanne Gablin and to have, you know, our total family of four that we have now. So the book actually tells pictures of being out of choice Mm -hmm. so that a person can get a sense of that. Cause I know for me, when I was in it, I was so freaking grateful that I got out. Like I thought, okay, I've made it. Mm. And I had, I I was like a little, you know, a little frog perched on the lily pad panting. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) not with that guy. Does that make sense? That was the, and it's, yes. and it's like that we keep stepping through these evolutions as we broaden and expand what choice is for us in life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I know, I mean, I think everyone knows you and I'm sure thousands around the world know you. And for those that don't know you, most of the work and interactions that we've had have been in I'll use quotations, the professional or the workspace. Mm. And I love that you've just shared a relationship story as it relates to choice and undeniably the work world and our personal lives, there is no delineation. And I would say that you never felt like we were doing corporate training. It felt like 
we needed to do the most important work on ourselves as human beings with you. And mm -hmm. I just wonder over the course of your career, how those two worlds, you know, how did the leading choice of a healthy relationship show up somewhere else in your life? How did you so beautifully come in and hit all of our hearts the way you did? Because, and I can't emphasize this enough, all of that is about getting there now. Hmm. Well, in the first chapter, I tell a really short story that I feel answers some of that. So let me bring it to life. <laughs> I'm there with my son, Curtis, who is at the time, oh, what was he? 16. We're at the orthodontist and I get the call from my older son, Surya. And you recall this when all this happened, I get the call from Surya. The very first word in the very first chapter is mom. And it's my son calling me to tell me that there's been this murder in the Bethesda Lululemon store. So I'm there on a Saturday at the orthodontist, integrating this message from my son, who's a lawyer, whose wife is working at the Georgetown store, knowing all of what that meant. So I begin the book with that story because it's in a way, me coming out of what I'll call the spiritual closet, like I've worked with a lot of wonderful people that move through different gender closets and, and all that. But I feel like I had put myself in a spiritual closet, like I'm somebody who studied many things. And there was a way where I thought, well, you know, I shouldn't talk about that because it's not corporate enough. How I feel like I got the strength to then step to another level, and that was in 2011, was in 1990. So I was a single mom in 1990, hadn't met Brett yet, had successfully finally exited that relationship. And I worked at a nuclear weapons facility and I lived in Boulder, Colorado, you know, the U S pretty well. So Boulder's really, you know, kind of hippie-ish, right. You know, it's all shalala. And, and where the plant was, was, you know, very serious. This is, you know, outside golden Colorado and it's working and top security and so I was teased for living in Boulder. So anyway, blah, 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 blah. How did I integrate those things? I made a decision one morning driving my 1977 Volvo up Highway 93 that I was going to begin an experiment. And this is the experiment stuff at the coffee spot in our trailer cubicle where I worked with the donuts there. When somebody asked me how I was, I was going to tell them. Because what I used to do was say, oh, I'm fine. And I'd go back to my cubicle. We all had pagers and I'd do my work because that's what everybody did. But so this guy, Dan, asked me, hey, Suzanne, how are you? And, you know, I worked with him and I was like, well, Dan, I'm glad you asked. I'm like, okay, here goes the experiment. I said, well, I'm really concerned about one of my kids has all these learning problems. And I just got out of this really difficult relationship and I probably should have got help with it. And I didn't, and I didn't really know how to talk about it. And I think we've got some inaccurate data sets coming in from the field. So how are you? <laughs> and as soon as I, and Dan is like there, you know, like picks out the chocolate donut and eats the donut, and he's just like, yeah. And so what started to happen as a leader is then he'd share more with me and the team would share more and we became more cohesive and more effective. Mm -hmm. And we learned how to do some of the things that you at, you know, the Corker Collective teach people about how to work in public, mm -hmm. how to be transparent. Nobody was doing that in 1990 in a nuclear weapons facility, but my experiment, I continue today. So with 
let your coaches in training, a lot of times when we do check-ins in our Zoom breakout rooms, I'll say, you know, do the, how are you really check-in? Mm. And, and I think it helps people. Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned was mm. through that practice. You know, it's so beautiful because I know that you have done such deep work with some of the members of the Corker Co. And when you say that, it feels so relevant. It's like, I see that moment in time, Sue's fast forward when people are able to say all three things and we hold space and we hear it and we carry on. Nothing's brushed under the rug. It's like, Mm. got it. So your heart feels this way. You're feeling like this in your head, you're worried and your, your brain knows that the data is incorrect and you hold all three as true and in the moment. And then you asked a question and onward. And I think if there is a gift that we could give is to hold the space and no one gets sucked below the line, another great Suzanne, and we don't get wrapped up in any story. You didn't ask us to worry about whatever you were worrying of. It's just true for you in that moment. And then we get to be real and we get to bring all of this because it's all there. It's just, you know, it's easier to just eat a donut than tell the truth about what's in your heart. So Maybe less donuts and more truth should be the next thing. (laughs) Less donuts and more truth. We'll put that on a t-shirt. I now call that bringing ourselves because I realized that at the time that felt like a small thing. And now I really see, Mm -hmm. oh, that one small experiment really led me on a trajectory that Mm -hmm. if I hadn't done that, maybe I wouldn't have met you, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would have stayed in a more should pattern. Mm. Ah, beautiful. Because you should say, I'm fine. Yeah. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Thank gosh, you're not a robot. Um, You know, the same relationship that we have with should, I also have with fine and sure. Mm. They feel so lukewarm to me. I don't Mm. like anything fine and I don't like anything sure. Be an emphatic no, be a firm no. Tell me no, thank you. Just not fine. I don't like fine. No, no, thanks. You know, that's awesome. Uh, Okay. There's so many nuggets of your work that I remember and I hold in my heart. And every time I think about the fifth cycle of success, when a project is done and Mm -hmm. looking back to say, how do we celebrate? And I have to ask, especially on a day like today, when it's your book launch and it's live and it's in the world. And I'm wondering how you will celebrate today appreciation and learning is cycle five of the cycles of success. And honestly, Steph, it's sort of moving to say this, but there's something for me about appreciating myself Mm. more often and validating myself and recognizing my own eternal significance and having faith that if I do that, other people can have their sense of deep worth and significance. Now, if you're asking me, what am I actually doing? I'm going to eat something delicious. I'm going to listen to great music. I'm going to drink wonderful wine. I mean, I am really excited about being in a human body. I love, well, you know me, I love food. I love kissing, touching. I'm, you know, anyway, we should probably (laughs) keep it PG, but I just, I love that I get to be in this body at this time, celebrating. And just thanks for asking. I'll take a picture of whatever I make or wherever I go for dinner. Yes. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We are a few minutes over time and my time integrity clock is telling me that we must wrap this in a bow. And the last question we always ask is what is currently making your heart beat faster? What is making my heart beat faster in addition to knowing that I get to meet your dog is (laughs) soon as I heal, I had a hip replacement surgery in April. I will begin teaching Nia again. And it is making my heart beat. It is making it beat so sweet. So thanks for asking. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, when there is Nia back and Nia might just need to come on Zoom for all of us that aren't in Utah, we will be there. Nia with Sue's. Nothing like it. Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing a book. Thank you for taking 10 years to do it because if it was written in 2011, there was at least nine years that we would have missed out on. So I am so grateful that the legacy of Get There Now is in the world. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast and for all of the work that you and your team do to elevate talent and Mm -hmm. self-expression in the world. Mm -hmm. 